Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, listeners. It's the start of the week, my creepy guys and gals, and today I have two things that I cherish. A cup of licorice tea, and the finale of Vilification by Shannon Higdon. It's a mega episode. Yep, today I'm pulling out all the stops. <laughs> so a brief recap of the past few episodes. Daniel is our main character. He falls in with a bad crowd at a young age. Learns that he has the ability of drug magic, my term, not Shannon's. Finds a way out and succeeds in the family business. Returns to the same friend that got him interested in drugs, who then gets him hooked on even stronger drugs and is now able to summon an entity from his mind. That entity began as his daughter, but is now nothing more than a murderous hulk, having killed many, including Mary, his wife. And things for Daniel just keep getting worse. And apparently for me as well, it's, uh, it's really pouring down here. The rain is just hammering in, goodness. Well, rain makes a good start to this creepy story. <laughs> so... Turn the lights off, crank up the sound, and get ready for a story that's very different. Mary leaned in close and gently nibbled on Daniel's earlobe. He moaned. Oh, you like that? She was teasing him. Maybe I'll eat you all up. Maybe I don't stop at the ear. He laughed. <laughs> they were in their bed together. They were in their underwear, and Daniel couldn't remember ever seeing her look more radiant than at that moment. He couldn't remember how he got there, but he knew he never wanted to leave. He loved his wife so much. He wanted the time to go on forever. I love you, baby doll. I know, she said. Please. Don't leave me, Mary. Stay with me forever. Then don't wake up, goofball. Her smile faded just a bit. He was confused now. What? I said, don't wake up. Her smile was gone completely, a look of panic beginning to creep in. I don't... Don't wake up, Danny. Don't wake up. Mary was terrified. Don't wake up, please. Then, in a moment of lucidity, he realized the delicate nature of his predicament. He knew he was dreaming, and the connection to Mary was hanging by a desperate thread of cognitivism and his ability to remain unconscious. Tears began to run down her cheeks. She already knew what he was about to figure out. He was waking up. No, he was awake. Daniel was still strapped to a bed in the Mandahari Medical Center. The previously sterile room was much different than before with a striking dichotomy of bright red blood splashed against the spotless clean white walls. The initial reaction was deja vu. A quick flash of Mary's remains splattered throughout his study intertwined with the carnage Sophie had left this time. There appeared to be no one left in the room, alive that is. But he wouldn't know until he got himself free. 
His left arm was still unstrapped, with a hypodermic needle poking out of the vein. They didn't even have the time to take it out! Managing to shake it free, he tried to reach his right arm restraint, but the shoulder restraint prevented that. He was unable to reach the latch on the shoulder restriction as well. Struggling and jerking against the leather belts only helped to heighten the fear and pump up his adrenaline. You have to think! He slammed his hand back down with a sigh. <sighs> Thinking was the one thing he had done least of all in the last few years, and his brain was not up to this challenge. Negotiating a crossword puzzle would have been hard enough. This was impossible. A noise suddenly came from outside the room, and upon hearing it, Daniel became painfully aware of the lack of sound that had just existed. There had been no beeping or whirring machines, no background televisions or hallway orderlies, no wrong guests popping their heads in or voices on the intercom paging Dr. So-and-so, only deafening silence. And then there was this noise, this, like a click of some type. There it was again, definitely in the hall outside and getting closer. It was getting closer. He was going to call out, to scream. Someone help me, I'm here. But something about that noise stopped him. It was so unnatural, but still. What the hell is that? It wasn't the sound any machine makes. It was more biological. Whatever it was, it was right outside his door. And then, in the room. Daniel squeezed his eyes shut and pretended to still be unconscious. A small child, hiding under the covers from the boogeyman. Right next to the bed now, giving himself only the smallest of slits through his squeezed eyelids, he could see the massive form that Sophie had become. She was walking on all fours now, but if she stood upright, she would easily be ten feet tall, and she had to be at least a thousand pounds now. She had become a huge hulking beast. And you could hear her breathing, like wind blowing up from a cavern, deep and guttural. Daniel realized after she took a couple of steps, that the clicking noise he had been hearing were her talons smacking against the hospital's linoleum floors. Sophie picked up something from the floor with her mouth, and shook it violently like a dog with a chew toy. Blood splattered against Daniel's cheeks, warm blood. It took everything in him not to scream out, but his commitment to playing possum was greater. Somehow, his survival instincts were stronger than he had anticipated. There was a loud chomp, accompanied by the cracking of many bones. Something heavy landed on Daniel's chest with a dull thud, which was felt more than it was heard. He instinctively jerked on the bed, but she didn't seem to notice preoccupied with her chewing. This lasted for an unbearable few minutes before the creature left the room, dragging something heavy behind it. 
Apprehensive and horrified, Daniel opened his eyes. The thing on his chest was an arm, slick with blood, with part of a sleeve and medical coat still attached. He couldn't be positive, but it looked like the arm of a darker, possibly Indian man, so he was guessing it was Dr. Patel's, fighting the first reaction to toss it off his person. Daniel decided to utilize it if at all possible. The arm was long enough to reach the latches on his restraints, but wasn't sure, as he doubted Dr. Patel would be as helpful in unlatching them as he had been putting them on. It only took a couple of clumsy tries and attempts at loosening the restraints before abandoning that effort. He looked around the room as best as he could. It was impossible to see below the side of the bed. There had to be something useful. The room appeared in complete disarray with very little from before left standing. But he did see, yep, that might work. He did see the silver tray next to the bed slightly above his head. Reaching out with Dr. Patel's arm, hand extended, Daniel tried to swipe at the base of the tray holder. It should be on wheels and if he could just slide it a little further, he could reach it with his hand. Blood spilled from the torn end and onto his face as he swiped, but he did his best to ignore it and was rewarded with movement from the tray just a little bit. Once in reach, he lifted the tray as carefully as he could and lowered it, contents and all, onto his chest without spilling it. His hand began shaking a few times and it required several deep breaths to keep it steady. There were several items of little interest, but he went for a long scalpel. It proved to be both long enough and sharp enough to cut through the shoulder restraint. With his torso relatively unencumbered, the remaining straps weren't difficult, although he did send the tray of medical utensils flying from his chest when he sat up. Dumb luck managed them into landing on soft surfaces. Probably dead bodies. Now that he was free from his leather chains, Daniel was able to fully take in the intensity of the room. He had seen slaughterhouses with less carnage. Suddenly, it became a battle with his lurching stomach, and his stomach lost, contributing its meager contents to the mess. Daniel was keenly aware of not wanting to actually throw up on someone's corpse, but as he looked down on the expulsion, he couldn't figure out where the corpses were. Had she moved them all? Had she eaten them all? There were pieces and parts all over the place. He saw an ear here and a foot there, but there didn't appear to be enough pieces and parts to round out the entire staff that had been in here before when he counted six. There was a large track of blood leading out of the door, into the hallway and off to the right. Daniel wanted to have shoes and clothes on, Anything would have been better than a hospital gown that leaves your ass hanging out. Cold and scared, he stepped lightly through the room to the doorway, leaving his imprint in the blood behind him and looked around. First, the right, where the path of blood went to the end of the long hall and into a room. That path was joined by several other streaks of bright red on the floor coming from all rooms and directions, all eventually leading to the dark room at the end of the hall. Is she stockpiling them? Then he looked to the left, where there were no bloody smudges and no imminent signs of danger. He had to go somewhere 
anywhere would be better than right here. This way, then, he whispered to himself while taking a step into the hall. Somewhere in the distance, towards the end of the bloody rainbow, he heard a noise he did not want to hear. It was faint, very difficult to gauge, but Sophie was obviously on the move. Daniel picked up the pace. The first door he came to was locked, then the next, then the next. It was getting louder. She is getting closer. The next door was closed and another. Daniel could hear her just down the hall now. Any second, she would turn a corner and see him standing there alone, naked, and would proceed to rip him to pieces. And then a door did open. It was an insignificant examination room, sparse on contents, with practically nowhere to hide. There was one tiny segmented cabinet, with the basic necessities. Gauze, depressors, hospital gowns and the like. Daniel wasted no time ripping out the contents, as well as the dividing shelf in the middle. It was just big enough for him to ball himself up inside. The cabinet door, however, wouldn't close all the way. A one inch slit of an opening was the best he could manage, and that inch became his entire world as he focused with laser intensity on its view from within. Sophie's clicking could now be heard in the hall just outside. He thought that he had closed the door to the room behind him, but in his rush, he had not. Ragged breathing echoed inside the small space as he held his hand over his nose and mouth, nearly suffocating himself in an effort to silence it. It didn't seem to help much, but with his heartbeat sounding just as loud, perhaps it wasn't as bad as he thought. His breathing did come to an abrupt stop, however, when he saw with dismay a detail that could end up being his demise. His footprints. He had hastily left a path of bloody footprints around the room and backwards into the hall. The proverbial trail of breadcrumbs. Fuck. The whispered word had barely escaped his self-muffled lips when he caught the smallest glimpse of Sophie, right outside the examination room's door now. Daniel had only the smallest of viewing space from his cramped position, but it was enough to convince him of his imminent danger. He could see part of her blackened form as she entered the room, segments of black skin with her thick muscles rolling beneath. A scene from Jurassic Park flashed in his mind, the one with the raptors stalking the children in the theme park's kitchen. He remembered how unrealistic it had seemed at the time, never dreaming of finding himself in a similar situation, and yet, here he was. Sophie began turning circles in the room, searching for something. Searching for him. Then, through his thin strip of visualization, Daniel saw her face and glowing red eyes. She had become so alien. The reptilian features were obvious but like nothing he had seen before. It looked like a child's plastic dinosaur, had been nuked in the microwave for a minute. Its once recognizable figure 
made different, a malformed and horrific version of what it was supposed to be. Sophie was definitely not what she was supposed to be. Her jaw unhinged, and with her massive mouth gaping open, layers of sharp teeth glinting in the light, Sophie waved her head back and forth while a loud hissing noise escaped from her inner depths. A long, thick tongue forked at its end, rocketed out of her maw, and flickered about the air in front of her face. What the hell was she doing? Is she... Then it hit him. The information had been deposited into his brain by an episode of Wild Kingdom when he was only eight, and up till this moment assumed lost with time. The considerable volume of drugs he had consumed in the last three years has successfully rewired Daniel's brain. The synapses still fired, the trains of thought still left the station, but the stops along the way had all changed. For the most part, this unintentional side effect provided nothing but detriment, but every once and a while, savant thoughts or images would come forth from the ether, front and center, to surprise, confuse, convolute, and possibly help whatever his current situation happened to be. In that moment, trapped in a cramped space hiding from a monster just a couple of feet away, Daniel's mind began to play video from a different life. In an eidetic fashion, the 16-inch black and white television screen from his childhood bedroom appeared before him. Marlon Perkins' hypnotic voice narrated over footage of various rattlesnakes in various states of agitation. Many snakes and lizards use their mouths and tongues to perform the same functions we would with our noses. Odor molecules can hang in the air to be absorbed by the sensitive membranes that the snakes have in those areas. These snakes can smell prey from a distance most people can't even see. Sophie was looking for his scent. She must have found it because her tongue suddenly retreated and her jaws snapped shut. Daniel could see her looking directly at the cabinet now, looking at him. Despite being a lifelong agnostic, he began reciting the Lord's Prayer which he had been forced to learn in a Catholic school. Something about being able to see the end of one's life that tended to bring about spirituality in even the most hardened soul. Faith in a higher power rarely came to the scientifically minded or the morally defunct until the end. Then they, like he, desired more. More time, more life, a continuation, an afterlife. Something else to look forward to rather than the cold, clinical cessation they had always imagined. There, mere seconds from the afterlife, as Sophie took one step in his direction, he did believe in God. He did believe. And in a moment of clarity and acceptance, Daniel was ready to meet him. Except for the one thought stuck in the back of his mind like a thorn. What would happen to Sophie if he did die? Would she simply disappear as she had whenever sobriety struck him? Or would she stay? Dr. Patel had injected him with a pretty strong opiate. Was he even still feeling the effects? It was so hard to tell anymore. 
He generally felt intoxicated all the time now anyway. He needed to know what would happen to the creature before he could leave. If God did exist, there would be a special place in hell for the man that unleashed this beast onto the world. Daniel did not want to be that man. Sophie took another step in his direction, leaned her face down and made a noise he didn't want to hear. As foreign as her hissing before, it was a deep-sounding vibration bubbling up from the bottom of a tar pit. Hardly recognizable, yet completely familiar. One simple word gurgled forth, freezing his spine. Daddy. Daniel could feel her hot breath through the crack. This was it. This was how he would die. It really was in God's hands now. Except that it wasn't. She had lifted one clawed hand to the cabinet store when a frantic intern scrambled by in the hall, drawing her immediate attention. As quickly as a jungle cat, Sophie turned and barreled out of the room, skidding across the floor and slamming into the opposite hallway before regathering herself and scampering out of view, in pursuit of whomever that poor soul happened to be. Daniel was flooded with emotions, ranging from guilty relief to genuine fear for the bait that had lured her away. He was unable to tell if it were a man or a woman that scurried by, and the blood-curdling scream that echoed through the building when Sophie caught up did nothing to give it away. Sharp and high-pitched, nothing defined it as feminine or masculine. It was, nonetheless, wholly human. Drenched with terror and dread, and, coincidentally, just what Daniel needed to break through his catharsis. He fell out of the cabinet with a thud, ripping his medical gown in the process. There was no time for lamenting nakedness anymore, and the best that could be done was to tie the smock around his waist like a flimsy towel. He didn't know where to go or what to do, but at least had enough sense to check his feet this time. The soles were red with caked blood, but they had dried for the most part and were no longer leaving impressions on the floor. It was like a Shaggy and Scooby-Doo bad acid trip as Daniel peered around the doorway and down the hall. Sophie was not to be seen. To the right was a set of double doors latched shut, maybe 20 feet away? The way out, maybe? The direction from which he came was pure destruction and entrails, every horror movie scene being put to shame by Sophie's decorating skills. Shocking and surreal, the closest thing he could relate it to was a slaughterhouse his father had taken him to when he was a child. Even then, they would clean up the mess. His daughter, or rather the beast that she had become, had no regard for human life. Whatever that was once good inside her was made vile. The product of rage and hostility, incapable of no more than bloodlust. She had to be put down. A quick search of the little room yielded little in the way of weaponry, unless he could figure out a way to kill her with tongue depressors, that was. Desperately pleading with his brain to MacGyver a working scenario, Daniel suddenly remembered the scalpel he had used to free himself from the bed. 
What did he do with it? It was on the floor with the rest of the surgical implements from the tray. The room wasn't too far down the hall, if he could just get to it. Then what? You gonna kill it with a one-inch scalpel? He didn't know. Maybe? If he caught it in just the right spot. A magic spot under the neck, like dragons? Well, sounds stupid when you say it like that. His mind was fragmenting. Seized with indecision and teetering on the edge of madness, everything suddenly went black. There was a split second of the belief that he had just died, or at the very least been rendered unconscious. But the moment passed when the hospital's backup generator kicked in, providing limited illumination from the sparsely placed emergency lights. This was just what he needed. Perfect. He whispered to himself, Ambiance. Had Sophie done that? Did she knock out the generator? If so, that showed she still held a level of intelligence he had thought to be now gone. Somehow that would be worse. Being a mindless predator, a shark, was one thing. But having the cognitive ability to know what it was she was doing. Oh dear lord, that was just evil. The hallway, now bathed more in shadow than light, seemed to shimmer before him like a mirage. Daniel steadied himself against the wall as he slowly made his way back to the room he woke up in. In this light, or lack thereof, the blood no longer looked bright red and striking, but shone with a ruddy brown on the walls and gathered in pools of inky black on the floor. Even the ceiling resembled a Jackson Pollock painting. He understood now that his concern for the footprints he might have left wasn't well-founded. They had only blended with so much gore in completing Sophie's master design. She was obviously trying to recreate hell, and she was succeeding. Reaching the room he was looking for was quicker than he left it, quieter too. There was no interruptions yet. The room, now poorly lit by one struggling bulb in the corner, invoked hopelessness initially. It was only by pure luck, on perhaps the grace of God, that Daniel saw the blade glinting in what light there was. In his hands, however, any confidence he might have held in the small blade's ability to be effective before now seemed laughable. What exactly were you going to do with this thing again? Somewhere in the distance, a scream shot out, an echo of an echo of an echo by the time it reached him. Daniel had been hoping that someone, anyone, would make it out of here alive, or at least be able to hide until this, well, whatever this was, was over. Unfortunately, Daniel knew Sophie's tenacity. He had seen her in action, the way she mutilated those poor people at the park. She was nothing if not thorough. He knew she was clearing out the facility, there was no way of knowing how big the place was, but he felt certain, nonetheless, of her ability to kill every living thing inside its walls. He had to find her first. Stepping into the hall with a new and foolish determination, Daniel saw a sign on the opposite side, staff only. Happy to find it unlocked, he was delighted to find the change of clothes he had been hoping for, especially the shoes. 
The pants were a little too big and the shoes were a little too tight, but both were completely better alternatives to the nothing he had on. The shirt was gone, but he found a white medical coat that helped to ease the shivers a bit. Shivers? Was he cold? Was it really cold in here? Or was he starting to feel the usually dreaded effects of withdrawal? If he went into withdrawal, then his body would be craving the drugs. It would need them, and if that was the case, then Sophie would be needing them as well. The convoluted logic made perfect sense. Sure it does. If he could just be sure that he was sober, then it would be safe, in theory. Maybe that was true, but for some reason, the idea of Sophie not dying when he did refused to leave. If he could have been sure of that one thing, he would have slit his wrists then and there and be done with it. But he couldn't. Not in the same way he was sure that she would vanish again if he reached a certain level of detoxicity. It would have been a really nice time to know the rules of this game. Daniel walked back into the hall, armed to the teeth. Armed with very little than his teeth. He might not have known exactly where Sophie was, but he figured he knew where she would be. She had left bloody paths from every direction leading to her den. Maybe he could surprise her, catch her off guard. Before one step could turn into two, he was halted by the echoing click of the intercom microphone being switched on, followed by a squeal of feedback, then breathing. Heavy, raspy, struggling for air breathing. His first thought was one of optimism. There is a survivor. But that passed quickly the second he recognized its thick cadence. It was Sophie. Daddy. The inhuman word filtered through putrid rancidity, echoing off the walls. All for you, Daddy. All for you. Overwhelmed with emotions, Daniel called out in the dark hallway. Sophie? Sophie? Baby doll? He had to take a chance. Almost all options had been extinguished. She could have killed him several times over had she wanted to. She slaughtered an entire room full of free people while he laid unconscious, bound to an altar. She had so many chances to do it already. Why hadn't she? She tried to kill you at the park. Did she? Maybe she was trying to save him from the oncoming cars. Then why was she chasing you in the first place? Sophie, can you hear Daddy? There was a pause and more breathing. Then... Hear Daddy. Reverberating above his head. Good. Now that contact was made, no words would come to mind. He struggled to mine the simplest fragments. Sophie, why? Why do this? Again, a pause. Then... Good girl, good girl, love daddy. A longer pause. Love mommy too. Involuntary tears began to spill down his cheeks at the thought of Mary. Soon you both be together. 
sobs now. Damn, Damn it, it Sophie. Sophie! He screamed. Then with a calmer demeanor, you, you killed, killed her, her Sophie. Sophie. You, you killed, killed her. her. The tears were torrential now. You, you killed, killed her. her. You, you killed. He was cut off by a low rumbling sound from the speakers, a thick smacking of jowls or mud that was all the more sickening when he realized what it was. She was chuckling. It was the unnatural merriment of a hellish demon enjoying its torture of the damned. She was enjoying this and wanted him to know. When the gurgling snicker came to an end, she said two words before turning off the intercom. I know. That ungrateful bitch. Daniel spat the words into the hall and began heading towards his ambush spot. It was amazing how much shoes aided in the speed of his progression. Not having to stop to see what squished between his toes got him around much faster. All of the tendrils of blood that were branched throughout led back to the same room and upon finding himself at its precipice, Daniel wasn't sure he could actually go inside. The door stood open but it was impossible to see anything within. Its emergency light either didn't work or had been disabled. The blackness of the room having eaten everything within now seemed to hunger for the meager light left in the hall. The envelope of shadow, so thick it seemed solid, making him wonder if he even could go inside, breaking through its wall of darkness. Craning his neck around, his mind raced for something, anything he could use to increase the illumination. Would he trade his scalpel for a flashlight right now? Maybe. Teetering back and forth, like a child too afraid to dip any more than a big toe into the pool, he suddenly felt a sharp pain in his chest. It was a stabbing sensation that took his breath away, and before he could gather himself again, he could hear the familiar of Sophie somewhere down the hall. Judging from the speed of the clicks and the rate at which they got louder, she was getting close, rapidly. One hand gripping his pounding chest, one hand clutching the surgical knife, Daniel threw himself headlong into the unknown obscurity ahead. Could it really be much worse than what was coming up behind him? He only managed to stumble a few feet into the room before falling headlong into a pile. A pile of bodies. Or body parts. It gave away too easily to have been solid bodies, and Daniel had to wade up and over the decomposing mound to get to the far side, never dreaming he would have been this grateful for the blinding darkness. He could feel the damp, slippery combination of clothing and viscera beneath his hands, splashing cold and wet against his bare chest. Then there was the smell. Oh god, the smell. Something between decaying flesh and fecal matter. His stomach lurched and desperately tried to expel anything. With nothing available, they became jarring dry heaves, which further escalated the pain in his chest. Finally reaching and rolling over the far end of the pile, his back found its way to a wall. And there he sat. His burning eyes focused 
on the only light, the doorway to the hall, and were greeted by Sophie's horrendously unnatural silhouette. She was here now. She had found him. But could she see him? Hovering in the doorway, he could hear her doing her hissing thing again. Was she tracking his scent? Daniel held the small knife in a death grip, while praying his heart wasn't actually as loud as it sounded to him. Sophie lowered her head through the frame and took a step into the room, blocking out all the light. Her footfall left a physical vibration to be felt. She was getting big. The blade began to involuntarily shake in his hand, and Daniel had no way to stop it. The tremors were beginning, the increasing pain in his joints and the sensation of spiders creeping up his legs told Daniel that he was going into withdrawal. The little bit of light that began to show around Sophie, no, through her, just reinforced the notion. She was starting to fade. With that small realization, unexpected hope sprang up inside him. There may actually be a way out of this. If he could just stay hidden long enough, then... Daddy. Sophie cut him off mid-thought. I see you, Daddy. She took another immense step in his direction, cracking bones and crushing sinew beneath her overwhelming weight. The chest pain now felt like fire, burning him from the inside out, as he waved the surgical tool feebly at the dark. It's time. Step, crunch, squish. To be. Step, crack, ooze. With mummy. The bodies were being pushed up against Daniel's feet now. He could feel her breath again. It smelt like copper. She had to be only a few feet away. Baby doll? He whispered hoarsely. Please, don't. Oh, daddy. Her face was right in front of his. The heat of her words burning his cheeks. Staring into his eyes, she began to caress his cheek with her index claw. It was pin-needle-sharp at its point, but she had yet to break his skin. I have to do this because I love you, silly daddy. With eyes that had long since adjusted to the dark, Daniel could see thick wads of saliva dripping from her many rows of teeth. Somehow, able to take note of the increasing light shining through her. She was so close to fading out now, and she didn't even know it. You don't have to do this, Sophie. He was just trying to buy time at this point. You need to listen to your daddy if you want to be a good girl. Before he could even hope to have success, he was cut off by that nauseating noise that the beast passed as laughter, and it was even worse in person and up close. A demonic chortle of malicious intent and set forth with destructive vibrational waves. <laughs> he saw the rows of teeth, 
came to terms with them being the means to his end and closed his eyes to wait for the inevitable. But, for the second time, the savage death Daniel was expecting did not come. There was no tearing of flesh and feeling his lifeblood flooding away while hearing his organs crunch between teeth. There was nothing. He opened his eyes and jerked his head back, smacking the concrete wall behind him from the shock of the sight. Sophie's visible form was still there, somewhat, slicing and snapping at his face, but she no longer had the depth of matter to make contact. Her claws sliding through his neck like a mist, her mouth biting at every limb, yet making no contact. She was enraged and working herself into a hateful yet ineffective frenzy. The sight of her inhuman face, mercilessly trying to remove his, was the last sight Daniel Winchester had in his mortal life on Earth. The air embolism that had been playing teeter-totter in his left pulmonary vein finally reached its vacation destination in his heart, killing him instantly. It was painless. His heart just stopped. It took a few seconds for his brain to realize as the world just kind of faded out of existence and in that short time he felt comfort. Grasping that Sophie would no longer be a danger to the lives of others, he was ready. It was what he had been waiting for. The Mandahari Medical Center was razed to the ground the following year, which was about how long the investigation lasted. 87 doctors, nurses, technicians, interns, and patients slaughtered without anyone knowing why. Surveillance video from before the power went out seemed to suggest some type of wild animal was involved, but key sequences mistakenly disappeared from the evidence lockup leading to many wild conspiracies involving aliens or Bigfoot. The official story was that the occupants of the building had fallen prey to wild wolves that had somehow gotten into or had been let into the small clinic. A prevalent theory that never took flight was that there was a serial killer who had trained his dogs or lions to maul his victims. Apparently, there was an incident in a park the day before the murders that may or may not have been connected. The two murder sites, though separated by some distance, shared similar killing modus operandi, including body mutilations and victims having ostensibly been eaten. In both circumstances, there were multiple homicides, with the victims having no obvious connection with one another, other than having been in the same place at the same time. There was an unusual connection between one of the Mandahari victims and the other crime scene, in that it was close to his home and when searching the residence, police found the remains of yet another graphic murder. It took DNA analysis to determine the identity of the casualty there to be the wife of a wealthy eccentric who was also deceased. While the connections were made, they yielded no results. The investigation coming to a close brought no one peace in the community, and so the Mandahari Medical Center was bulldozed to the ground. The acre lot sat empty for three years growing wild 
and giving refuge to the homeless community and underage kids looking to drink outside the public's watchful eyes. In the fourth year, someone, somewhere decided enough time had passed and construction began on a new facility. The building of the St. Mary's of Upper New York School for Girls Dormitory took two years and included extensive funding from an anonymous donor who gave in memory of a Mary and Daniel Winchester, victims from the previous tragedies. There was to be no expense saved in the construction of the old girls' orphanage and school. It took another six months to paint, furnish, and provide basic amities to the dorm rooms, common rooms, and cooking facilities. Six months after that, exactly six years to the day of the massacre, the first group of girls moved in, ages six to sixteen. It could not have been more modern and beautiful, and the first day was one to remember, with the girls gushing over everything. They were all so happy, feeling like the luckiest kids alive. Their first night, however, was a different story. The girls 13 to 16 were given permission to have an overnight move-in slumber party. Sister Maggie, the headmistress, was convinced that, with the excitement of the day, they wouldn't make it past a few hours anyway. Several hours after the sisters had turned in, the girls were in the main common room listening to music, too mature to play in front of the sisters, and dancing with socked feet. The radio began to flicker in and out, drawing the girls' attention in its direction, where a massive black shadow lurched in the corner around it. The entire room, 18 girls in all, screamed in terrified unison, and the undefinable spectre fled across the room, disappearing into the far wall. Two days later, a precious nine-year-old named Deborah, who was called Little Debbie by the other girls, was alone in the second-floor bathroom when a set of vaporous black arms reached out from a bathroom stall and tried to drag her in, to no avail. It was effective enough, though, to bring about a broken wrist when Little Debbie fell backwards onto the hard floor in reactionary shock. Five hours after that, 12-year-old Charlotte tumbled down a flight of stairs, fortunately not breaking any bones but would later swear to Sister Maria that there was a ghost and it tried to get me. More and more reports of sightings started to pour in. Girl after girl, swearing on their Bibles, told stories more at home in a haunted house than in a brand new school. The very last report before the students moved to a new home came from Sister Maggie herself, who swore to see the glowing red eyes of the devil watching her sleep. The building remains vacant now. It's a very popular site, with thrill-seekers and ghost hunters, and has built a viral reputation for its ghost. No one knows exactly what it looks like, but there are many rumors said to appear mostly as a shadow large enough to fill the corner of a room. People have provided many varying descriptions and details. Often heard are black arms, large claws, glowing red eyes, and looks like the devil. Ironically, less threatening is the name that the thing is said to go by. Sophie. And this concludes Vilification by Shannon Higdon. Well, 
What a finale! A huge thank you to Shannon Higdon for providing me this story. I was just enamored reading it. And what a talented writer, seriously. They have some serious creative chops. <laughs> and I hope all of you like these episodes. I know some of you out there will want it strung together in one mega episode, so when I get the chance, I will do this. And there will be loads more stories from Shannon Higdon in the future. Cheers, mate. This also was the largest single story episode I've ever done, I think. Sitting at 76 pages in length, just brilliant. Also, I was asked this question recently. It must be really hard to do this sort of thing every night, right? So I just replied with, it sure can be, but I love narrative challenges and my listeners. They put a bounce in my step every day. And it had me thinking about what I do on this podcast and why I love it so much. And I don't often quote people, but I like this one from Steve Jobs that really sums up my attitude towards this podcast. If you are working on something that you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. So very, very true. So share this one around to your friends and family if they enjoy these sort of stories. And the remainder of this week for this podcast will be jam-packed with creepypastas and fan stories and maybe some paranormal. We'll see how we go. And I've also had some of the creepypasta authors reach out to me to do another set of their unique stories. So more treats for you lovely listeners. So I'm super excited. Can you tell? <laughs> so join me tomorrow, you brilliant listeners. And as always, till next time.